Welcome to Sex Talk Radio, a podcast that explores kink and sex through candid and curious conversation. Join me and expert guests in unpacking the depths of desire, unraveling taboos, and exploring the diverse expressions of human sexuality. When did you move here? Uh, it's been over two years now. We moved okay. in March of... So, uh, you moved from New York, right? Sort of. I am a native New Yorker, yeah. and I was living there, and Amanda, my now wife, yeah. was living in L.A., and so we did long distance for a year and a half. Then COVID forced us to quarantine together in L.A., oh, okay. um, which is a place I swore I'd never go back. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, we were there, or I was there from March 2020, and then March 21, we came here. And Yep, I think we moved at similar-ish trajectories. I came later that summer. From LA, and I was like, I need, I need to get out of here. <laughs> mm. It felt really uh, repressive during COVID, and just I was seeking community that I couldn't find there. For sure, that is the big issue with yeah. LA. I found I lived in LA. I moved there initially in 2013, <clears throat> uh, right as I was getting married to my first wife mm. and I'm a friendly guy and I made one friend in the two and a half years I was there that I'm makes me feel better not, <laughs> like it wasn't not, me no <laughs> yeah it's challenging <clears throat> all <Awesome>. right <clears throat> you want to how's the mic good yeah. sound good I'll I'll drop my register and speak in my podcast voice for you <laughs> <laughs> I think I have one too <clears throat> people have been asking thank you you mentioned on double team like the ASMR thing people have been DMing me like you have such a sexy voice All right, we're getting started here. Let's do it. All right. John Romanello is a New York Times bestselling author and expert on all things communication. He is also an educator on sex and relationships, focusing primarily on kink and non-monogamy. He's a dom with over 15 years of experience and speaks openly about his polyamorous partnership to his wife, author Amanda Bucci, as well as his relationships with his two other partners, Holly and Shelley. Correct. (laughs) When he's not talking about butt stuff on social media, John serves as chief mischief officer of his agency, Wellspring Media, and serves as a strategy consultant for businesses, individuals, and the occasional political campaign. How people can work with you. People can work with you as a communication coach for their business, on their personal relationships. Um, Yeah, there are aspects of it that make it very similar to life coaching, but ultimately it's about learning how to employ compassionate candor in all situations. Absolutely, which we'll talk about relating to kink as well. Mm-hmm. Um, John Romanello uh, okay. com to read my stuff. All righty. So, well, first of all, just uh, had to say that when I looked up your podcast, the first thing I saw was a podcast playlist or was a playlist called This is a Great Playlist for Drug-Fueled Orgies. So that made my morning. That is that <laughs> is my most popular playlist on Spotify. Yes. Yeah. And it, it is. Should yeah, you... it has like a thousand, thousand followers. Yeah. Big <laughs> one. Like to, I like to know that I'm somehow involved in the drug-fueled orgies of, of the world. Contributing. Well, thank you very much for being here. Um, I've been following you and your wife for many, many years and... I remember the moment I think that she shared about you (coughs) and your polyamorous relationship and just you guys to me are catalysts in the space and give a lot of people permission that you might not even be aware of to just be freaky and kinky and explorative (laughs) and like to redefine their relationship dynamics. Thank you. And I think that we're entering a really 
unique era where a lot of things are shifting. I'm seeing a lot of new bios on field and a lot of new sexual orientations and people are just kind of getting a bit more comfortable. Um, but yeah, you, you have absolutely changed uh, my life through the screen just in terms of um, feeling more confident in my exploration. So thank you. Well, that is high praise indeed. Thank <laughs> you, I'm very, that's, and it's very gratifying. Yeah. Um, and I think there needs to be a lot more openness. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to decide to step into. It took me a long time to make the decision to create this podcast. Um, was there a shift for you when you kind of came out in that way on social media? Or how did that transition occur for you? Or was it very comfortable? Well, I was struggling a lot uh, historically with uh, with my relationships and I got married in 2013. I cheated on my first wife, I think for the first time eight or nine months into that marriage, I told myself I would never do it again. About three months later, it was like immediately before our one year anniversary, mm. it happened again. And then I entered a, a series of affairs and I make no excuses for any of this. Yeah. I, the truth is I was, I was very unhappy in the marriage and very unhappy in my life. And it forced me to, it should have forced me to examine things about myself more openly because at, at that point things were great on paper. I, yeah. my, my business was great. Seven figure business, seven figure book deal, New York times bestseller. I'd just gotten married to this amazing woman. I had everything I'd always wanted or thought I always wanted or could have wanted. Yeah. And so at that point, when you're still not happy, it is a terrifying feeling. Like if it's not this, if it's right. not her, mm. then it'll be nothing. There's no way on earth I can ever, I can ever feel happy. And there were aspects of that relationship that were very clearly not for me, the aspects of, of that person that should have indicated this is the wrong relationship. And you know, there's a type of cowardice that comes with self-appraisal. Mm. And I did what a lot of people do. I, one, found ways to hide in other things, other people, mm. sex. And there was something that allowed me to hate myself by engaging in salacious relationships. Sure. The other piece of it was because there was really no way for me to love myself at that point because I, I hadn't really unearthed my sexual trauma or whatever other things I could offer that I think to many people just sound like excuses. Hmm. The need to see my own self-loathing reflected in the eyes of the people who love me prompted me to engage in things that I knew would eventually, th those chickens would of course come home to roost. Mm. And they did. Um, so by mid 2015, I had gotten an apartment in New York where I'm from originally. My ex and I were living in, uh, in LA at that time. Mm. And I was still lying, maintaining multiple relationships. So I had a completely separate life in New York, but I had met a woman who was open and that is something that I had wanted to explore. I had initially brought it up to my ex like one time, mm -hmm. but I retreated. I had been reading maybe, maybe Sex at Dawn or maybe more than two. Yeah. And I briefly brought up Polly. 
And she was like, oh, God, I don't know why anyone would do that. And I was like, yeah, I can't. Why would? No, of course not. That's crazy. <laughs> not me. <clears throat> so I started being openly, quote unquote, openly non-monogamous in that relationship in New York, mm. which was itself an affair. But it was so completely separate from my life. Going, moving back and forth. Right. So I had this life in L.A. that, you know, was one type of fabrication and I had this other life in New York that was really um that felt more authentic to me but I was hiding a lot of it but finding my way into community through that allowed me to start feeling more willing to be open and so then I'd like to say eventually I ended the marriage but that didn't happen eventually everything came out my life blew up um but when that happened, I was like, well, I got nothing to lose. And so I started being more open about non-monogamy and polyamory yeah. on my social media. And then I started dating my now wife, Amanda, who has a huge social media platform. And so now I had 500,000 eyes on me eyes, yeah. in a different <laughs> way. And out of respect for her, I sort of stopped talking about it hmm. and that was mostly sort of like i don't know how she wants to handle this we yeah. we were we were poly in our lives her her you know I, her her family knew her friends knew we were dating other people yeah and i i thought perhaps she would have a maybe like a one year timeline where before she would bring it up <laughs> i think it was like 4 months into our relationship maybe 5 oh wow she says she wants to write an article about being in a poly relationship. And so it was really her decision mm. to live her life authentically, which sort of removed the the veil. Right. And so that announcement, which I believe was probably <laughs> March or April of 2019, uh, that's really when it, it all started to be, everything was out in the open. Sure. Because her audience knew. Mm -hmm. And that was a whole thing in a, in a right, yeah. right, exactly. I, I've seen you post about it since, like the photo, I, and I think that that's why it was brave. I mean, for her and for both of you, because they're just. I mean, I'm trying to think of like mainstream people in the space or celebrities that are like, let's share about our lives. Um, it's, there were a yeah. few. Uh, Nico Tortorella, okay. who is an actor who. Um, was on a show called Younger with Sutton Foster. Most recently was on City on Fire, a great Apple show. Okay. Nico is bi and poly. I, I actually don't know their gender identity. They may, initially when I came across Nico, he, him, but they may be they, and married to a non-binary person. But separate of that, yeah. there were a few people in the social media space, notably Aubrey Marcus, who mm, yes. was the uh, founder and CEO of a company called On It. Mm -hmm. I had known Aubrey for many years. He was engaged to a woman named Whitney, and they were openly poly. Um, eventually, they they separated, but Whit Whitney had moved into sort of the relationship space, and yeah. um, and then Aubrey went completely fucking right wing, and our relationship deteriorated because of <laughs> that. But I, I, I mention it only because. I don't ever want to take credit as some sort sure. of pioneering trailblazer when there were some sure. examples ahead. Of and us. I'll definitely put those people, some, yeah. some of those people, in the in the show notes um, because I think there are some, yeah, some great people out there. Um, 
And okay, so I want to go back to your New York experience with that first woman that was open. Was she the one to kind of show you the world of kink and BDSM and exploration? No, 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 no. I I discovered kink. I discovered kink when I was twenty five. Okay. I had been dating a, a woman for about three weeks. She lets me know I'm a sex worker. I asked what that meant. I assumed she meant escort, but she said she was a professional dominatrix. At that point, my entire reference for this was media. This oh, is yeah. pre Fifty Shades. <laughs> and so probably the standard presentation of a female dominatrix and what that looked like at that point was the very stereotypical, hyper-powerful rich man hiring a woman to Wall Street, the wax, yeah. right, right. <laughs> hiring a woman, you know, and, 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 yeah. you know, I, I do think that that's very present, right? There is this dichotomy that is often presented people who have power, which is a lot of responsibility in most areas of their lives, look for a place where they can give it up and be vulnerable yeah. and be free. And, you know, that happens very often uh, in the places where I play, the women with whom I play, they are ambitious and very powerful boss bitch women. <laughs> and then they, they express that they want to be completely submissive in particular places of their life. So it's not uncommon, but it's also not universally true. Right. And so she expressed that she was a dom. We had a conversation during which I asked, is that how you would like to engage with me? I do not think that I would be open to being a sub <laughs> and she explained no I am telling you this because I think that you have the makings of a great dom and I have been looking <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. and her experience was what I have come to see fairly common with women who are her switches mm -hmm. and they express that they're looking for a dominant man and they get in these situations and for whatever reason their natural level of dominance yeah, on like a 10 scale is like an eight and these guys come in thinking they're super dominant but they're a six and so nature takes its course and these men roll over and show their bellies where it's i don't have an ounce of sub in me so she asked <laughs> uh would you be willing to learn these things and uh, engage with me that way mm. i there were aspects to it which at that time seemed not overly interesting, the whips, the chains, et cetera, but the power exchange, yes. the control, the uh, the call and response, tell me you want this, beg for this, that seemed right up my alley. That was similar to how I was playing already, mm -hmm. and now I had a structure and I had a language. Right. She went off uh, to some trip to Australia, New Zealand, and did some, she saw Hobbit stuff, which I was very jealous of. <laughs> so she comes back. Um, You've been practicing. And, oh, I mean, I had, I had, <laughs> the whole kit, yeah. you know, like the, the floggers and everything. The information at the time, there weren't as many books, though there were some, and a lot of reading on FetLife, a lot of online forums, and so I read what I could, and I practiced, and so that was my, my first foray into it, and that really went on until right about my first wife. It was, we had aspects of, hmm. and I, I won't speak too openly about, about that relationship, sure. but we had some aspects of it, but it was, you know, not something that she was overly interested in. So that went away. Mm -hmm. And now I meet this other person in New York who is in a poly relationship. We have our first experience together, which is immediately has aspects of power exchange yeah. titles and the like. Okay. And so that becomes uh, part of our our experience and nearly every experience we had with other women mm. throughout. And as we made our way into the sex community and the clubs that we did, uh, it was 
prevalent. There were a lot of cool doms and great subs mm -hmm. and switches and people teaching classes. And because I, I'd had so much experience and I am pretty good at, at quite a bit of it, um, it, yeah, it, be, it just it became one of the things for which I was known, and then eventually one of the things for which I was sought. Sure, yeah. Um, I was just listening to you talk about the scale. I think you were doing one to a hundred in sure. this example, one, yeah. and that was just this morning that I was listening, and it actually made me feel super seen because I'm mm -hmm. very new to exploring my switchy nature. Mm -hmm. um, been very submissive in the bedroom for many years, but like lately with certain types of partners, um, I've been leaning into this like dommy mom personality, which is so fun. Mm -hmm. But when you explain that scale of this like inherent energy that we have whether it's more dominant or submissive and how those all play together. It just, it helped me really understand my switchy ways mm -hmm. because I don't feel that way with all men. Um, sure. And I think that there's always just a lot of power dynamics at play in our lives. And like, that's the part that I'm the most fascinated by. Mm. I just love trying to understand why we like the things that we like and um, what am I getting on a deeper level when I am providing this like nurturing and central energy as more of a dominant person or being on the more submissive side. Like I love, I just find that so fascinating. I think it happens in more contexts than we realize. I remember, this is perhaps 2012, I had flown to Utah for some big entrepreneur conference and- It wasn't a kink conference. On the, on the way there, so I, you know, I met, people who were also on their way to their conference to this conference. I did not know them otherwise. So it's three relative strangers uh, sure. in a cab together going an hour and the, the cab gets a flat tire. And what you <laughs> see in that situation is how people respond to that. And some people are just like, well, this isn't my problem. And I know how to change a tire. There is absolutely no reason for us to wait an hour for this. Yeah. Where's the jack? Where's the tire? If you can't do it, I'll do it. And one <laughs> of the other gentlemen who was from Mexico City, as I'm doing this, he turns to the other guy who had been in the cab and he just says, lead follower, get out of the way. And they had both chosen to get mm -hmm. out of the way. And so I think that how we respond in any situation uh, there is an energy to it, but there is also a demonstrable set of behaviors that indicate confidence and proficiency. And in that space, pe most people are pretty happy to like offload responsibility, <laughs> yeah. and whether it's yeah. like, okay, this guy can change the tire. And you see yeah, it great. like all the time. Like there are usually people within a friend group who take responsibility for planning. This is where we're going, this is what time, and then <laughs> somebody is herding cats. And there, there are people who are very happy to just be along for the ride. Same and, kids that are doing the projects in college. Right, and so <laughs> we show up in some contexts being perhaps very direct and confident, and in others, we might not have any experience, and we're just like, all right, I'll, I'll kind of hang back and I'll follow that lead. Right. I tend to be a person who is, uh, to use a phrase that I like to parrot from my good friend Andrew Huberman, center mass forward. Mm -hmm. I like to lean in to being proactive in any situation. Sure. Rarely do I find that I am totally fine abdicating all responsibility. And that's probably a control issue due to my trauma, but I like, I like to, at, at the very least, be 
keyed in to what's happening exactly. and what I can expect. And when you find people who are maybe more submissive or more prone to be willing to be submissive, mm -hmm. some of that is just in, in a particular space. Maybe they just want to relax. I don't yeah. always think it's about wanting to give away power hmm. because I, my experience and what I'm told by many of my partners is that submission does not feel um, powerless to them. It feels relaxing. Wow. They are very happy to let someone else make the decisions. And you know, whether it's you know whether it's planning dinner and or, or yeah. planning a vacation or whatever else, uh, having someone plan a scene, asking you the questions, they are demonstrating a level of fluency, a level of experience. And this is, this is also true in business in my, my consulting practices. If you, ask, if you start talking to a prospect who might be hiring your company for marketing help and you begin to ask really thorough questions about data and you know, what, are your mark, what are your conversions, when you show that you are thinking about things on a level they have never considered, they're immediately shown this person knows more than I do <laughs> and has a, probably a greater chance of success than I do. So I'm happy to follow along. And the same thing I think is very true when you do a thorough kink consultation. It begins to show more and more this person is playing 3D chess and I was here to play Candyland and <laughs> I am absolutely happy. So I'm, I'd yeah. like to just turn my brain off and relax. And I think there's a lot of that to it. And when we see how, uh, it, you know, social norms and what we consider to be gender roles or internalized misogyny play out. A lot of men come in thinking I have to, you know, I, I told this woman I was a dom and I have to be very right. assertive. And for them, for many people, dominance is a, is a, an experience of physicality, throwing someone around and all the choking and the spitting. That's what many men on field think it is. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think it's also trying to, trying it, to rewire that. Right. Through what I, the work I'm doing as well. I think it's also very true for women who believe that they are submissive or they're looking to be submissive mm -hmm. because they like rough sex. And those two mm. things can be related, but right. they are not immediately correlative. Absolutely. And so separating out power exchange from mm -hmm. sensation play is a, a big part of the work I think we all do. That's amazing, yeah, absolutely. When I first started exploring, I felt shame around wanting to be submissive because I'm like, I'm a feminist and I had to re I had to rework and separate these things out and understand that it's not that I am like submitting to men as a whole. It, it's a power exchange. And for me, the basis is trust and, and safety. And if I can find somebody that I feel that with, which can be challenging, but if I feel that um, it's, it's not about, the submission it's about the the energy and the power and and when i've really gone into subspace and explored these things with dominant partners it just feels like freedom it just feels mm. like release and not having to make decisions which i do all day and um it was like the few the few times i've been in an intense subspace it was honestly the most like powerful memories of my life and now navigating that a little bit more switchy, I'm like, I would be honored to provide that for someone because it's beautiful and it's freeing. And um, doms get an experience too. You get a, get a high, get an experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what does that feel like for you? 
There is no cognitive separation for me the way there can be in subspace. Mm. You know, subspace to me is often described as very, you know, simultaneously connective and dissociative, very floaty, almost like a high. For me, it is a narrowing of um, focus, very much like being in the zone with a type of sport or play. And it's one of the few times I find that I am completely present because I have to carry a lot of information in my head. This is especially true in group scenes, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I have a, a partner who I play with regularly, I know her template, I know the things that are available. You still do a consultation. Not everything may be available that night, but now you bring in a third person or a third and a fourth <laughs> and you are collecting information about what each of those people is available for independently and now what is everyone available for with one another and very simply if you're in an FFF uh, threesome you know this is how many couples begin to open up often one person is early on in her exploration of her bisexuality (laughs) and she's with a couple and people just jump into this threesome and they never think to ask are you down to eat pussy tonight (laughs) and if she's not, that's totally okay, which doesn't mean... And again, like, if this person eats your pussy, you don't have to eat theirs. And so, so... This is the consultation you're talking about. Right. But most people who just find themselves in a threesome and don't do the consultation, they don't have this. So in a consultation, I'm asking as many questions as possible, and I'm collecting all of this information. And then throughout the experience, I am I, I'm certainly engaged sexually, but I'm very much a director. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like... It, or if you want to use a sports analog, like I'm the coach calling the plays. I need to know what everyone's strengths are, what they're available for. Needing to keep all of that information in my head and deploy it, not only at the appropriate times, but also in the most creative ways, I don't really think that's any different than any any sort of artist who puts on a performance. That's Mm -hmm. It's an incredibly cool thing. And because... You can't plan it all. There's no set list specifically. So if it's like anything, it's like jazz. And it is about the notes you do and also don't play. And if you're the leader creating this tempo, then everyone else playing their particular instruments in their way gets to showcase their abilities and what they can do. And they get to have a really beautiful experience. So rather than this, I... I, I envision subspace as sort of um, like in the 90s, the way they would portray flashbacks on TV. And it's like things would get like really, you know, like exactly. So I I imagine subspace to be a haziness at the edges of experience. But for me, being in top space is very much like a a hyper crystallization Mm. and a focus, like a sharpness of everything that's happening in the moment. Gotcha. Um, do you have you talked about being neurospicy on um, Instagram? Uh, yeah, you have ADHD. I have ADHD. Okay, I think I've seen you talk about mm-hmm. that before. I do as well, and I'm I'm curious how that kind of correlates because it it makes me think about how my brain is always in twenty different spots at mm. once, and and something about um, arousal and play is is that hyper hyper focus hyper fixation. Um, what are your thoughts on this kind of experience that many uh, ADHD people have of like always seeking out the newest experience or the most dopamine and these kind of extreme scenarios. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? 
uh, as well as like, is there a place where it can get to an unhealthy point? Um, can you ask that question? Can you sharpen that question a little bit? Like, sure. cause what are, what are my thoughts? I think can, can, we can go in a lot of different ways. Um, do you think that someone with ADHD who is always seeking out or who hasn't maybe maybe sorted through the difference between like chasing dopamine and serotonin mm. and they're looking for these highs or more extreme scenarios, do you think when it comes to kink and BDSM that that can reach an unhealthy place of? Well, I think chasing any dragon can <laughs> be unhealthy. And I think I would be very hesitant to say that it is specific or unique to people with ADHD because sure. I know people who are novelty chasers who do not have ADHD and they have no trauma at all. They just, they're adrenaline junkies or whatever else, or they, yeah. they just like new stuff. I think the thing that is important is to put guardrails. And the way I like to present this through kink mm -hmm. is prolonging the experience. Mm. You know, when you are in a new relationship, <clears throat> very early on, like there's nothing better than making out. Oh, how great. It's like you get to feel like a teenager again and oh, you right. can sit and kiss, just kiss a new person <laughs> for about three hours and your mouth is dry and your lips hurt and like Dawson's Creek has been on in the background. <laughs> and then you, you move forward through, you know, whatever list of sexual experiences you have. And after a while, you don't you just don't have the same charge from kissing right and so for me my thought is always there will be a point of diminishing returns where this particular thing does not yield the same reward and i am inclined to slow that burn as much as possible mm. and so i am a person of extremes i like really intense shit and also if there is a person I believe I will be playing with for a while, mm -hmm. I am happy to sort of build in levels, like a video game mm -hmm. where it's like, here are some things that we're not gonna do tonight, we'll get to them next time. And so having protocols for the speed of escalation, mm. I think is, is not only exciting and, totally. and really, again, extends this feeling of, uh, of pleasure, mm -hmm. there is also, a a safety to it because we once we're in a, a a state of arousal it's very hard to say no to stuff and so that the, another big piece of the consultation is we will not do anything tonight it, once again I, I i always talk about separating the con the consultation from the play space locationally yeah, I, I would say do the consultation in the living room and mm. then you play in the bedroom and there's no arousal or clothes off like you're having we're having a, and yeah you can be aroused okay. but um for example i i i won't allow someone to call me by a title during the consultation because mm. that brings power exchange in and that one at the very end i might say if you're going to call me sir like let me hear what that sounds like but for the the like 99% of the consultation, we are not in a dom-sub dynamic. Okay. We are two people collaboratively creating a set of expectations. And so my rule is, if we do not agree to it in the living room, we are not gonna do it in the bedroom. Mm. And so that prevents us from making decisions that uh, pre-escalate. And if you are a person who likes to party, it's just, 
the the version of you who is rolling face on Molly is not a person who's going to say no to shit. (laughs) And so like Molly me is very different from sober me. And so I go, I I let my, my friends and I, and I say it out loud and I know in advance what, what my journey is for the evening, because if I can say, all right, tonight I'm willing to do this much. And this is what, what, at what times then I, I can adhere to it because I'm good with structures and protocols. But if I were to just take a pill and then three hours later, my friends are like, you want to take more? I'd be like, yes, of course. Why would you even ask that? Of course we're going to do that. Friends have to dumb it's you a little. This, well, that's the thing. I pre-dumb myself. I know in advance yeah. the I'm just not going to do anything that I, I said I wasn't going to. And I am, because I like power and because I actually, for myself, I get a lot out of self-denial. I That's really arousing to me. Um, and also to, to what, to deny other people pleasure. There's a, there's a power there. So uh, the, a a big part of it is sort of pacing out the escalation. And so for whether it's people with ADHD or anyone who chases novelty, there should be some sort of structures and protocols in place that like probably if your first time with somebody and you've never played before and you've for uh, just a really good example is I I don't want to say I never play with people on the first date because it happens. I often have people who are visiting Austin, but the protocol I put in place is I will meet them in a public place. We will have a coffee date mm-hmm. and there can be just like, you know, I am aware of my power and the fact that maybe they've been following me for a while. So there's just a, a weird sort of, you know, like, like a lopsided power dynamic. Hmm. So we are not going to go from the coffee shop back to their Airbnb. The protocol that I have in place is we'll talk. We'll see if the vibe is right. If you want to play, this is what we're going to do. Go back to your Airbnb. Call at least one person. Talk to somebody Mm -hmm. in your brain trust. I will go home. I'll chat with my wife or whomever. We're going to spend at least four or five hours apart. Text me later. If you want to do this, then we will... Well, I'll meet you and we'll have a a thorough consultation and the same rules apply because it, it really is a situation where once you start chatting about things, you begin uh, an arousal cycle and it, you, you lose the ability to be completely objective. And so just having that very simple structure in place is a way that we can protect one another from making decisions that might be probably not, not not in our best interest but perhaps we're we're not making them from the best space and, right. and these are all systems i have now and obviously early in my career as a don and I, they everything comes from having made mistakes and realizing yes. i met someone out or you know somebody came into town we had coffee we got really excited we <laughs> went back to their airbnb we fucked uh, we don't really have time for as much aftercare as they would have mm. wanted. And now I'm late for something else. And then, you know, th- th- there's just mistakes that can happen. And so I think that everybody is going to make oopsies and ouchies, to quote my friends, Kimmy Inch and Casey yeah. Neal. And <laughs> if you learn from those, now protocols are in place. So everyone has to figure out Definitely. how can I move slowly towards more and more exciting things rather than make everything available to this person who I am playing with for the first time in a very vulnerable space. Yeah. Thank you. You're very good at coming back to the the question. (laughs) Very complete there. Um, 
Yeah, I I appreciate that with the oopsies because I'm a total perfectionist. And so as I started exploring Dom life, I'm like, I don't want to do anything wrong. And there is, I think, beauty in the messy of kink and of playing on both sides of that. Um, and, you know, it's it's a journey. And I've actually found that I've had a bit more empathy for some of the less desirable experiences I've had on field with men that say they're doms or are doms um, playing in this other space because I now see how how much responsibility it is to take care of someone in this way and hold space for them and guide something and guide a scene and it's a lot of responsibility and I think for a while I had resentment build up from some of the experiences I'd mm. had of I'm a dom. I've been doing this for five years and then things get too aggressive and there isn't a consultation or communication and then I'm the one teaching. But I, I have this new kind of empathy for some of these experiences I've had because it's, it's a lot of responsibility to navigate having not done it before. And people aren't always taught how to do it, right? People think I like rough sex or I like being in control right. and therefore I am a dom. And I am, I am not willing to invalidate anyone's self-assessment of their arousal template. If they mm. are aroused by being in control, they are a dom. That doesn't mean they know how to dom someone safely. Like if, yeah. if somebody came to you and they're just, I need other people to be in control, it doesn't matter how much or how little they'd read about BDSM, you would still say, if you feel submissive, you're a sub. It, it has to be the same thing mm -hmm. with a dom, regardless of their gender. That is why I try to put out the educational material yeah. that I do, because I was very lucky to come across somebody who did this professionally, and there was money exchanged, right. and they, you know their NDA signed in wow. with their clients, <clears throat> and so there were immediately structures. Right. Not everyone has this, and a person who identifies as a dom is aroused by being in charge can sit down across from a person who is a sub and they can say okay so what are your boundaries and if that person can't voice them and this person doesn't know i have to do i have to ask more specific questions i have to guide this conversation in a in both a linear and a and an incisive way and then if they don't know how to do that and they're relying on you right. to say what is and isn't okay. And then they go into the play space and for whatever reason, the information is incomplete and you have a poor experience. That is absolutely valid and it's terrible. And also I'm imagining they feel terrible, but if pointed out to them, I am. I can see how there would be a level of defensiveness. Like, well, I didn't know. I just, I did. I just, I didn't right. do any of the things you said right. not to do, and I, and and so that's challenging. So, I in my in my educational material, I really want to create uh, as much information for how to run a consultation so that people who identify as doms can do it, and then also, I know that when women or when when, when people who are submissives move towards that space, they don't want to quote unquote top from the bottom, but they may need to help run the consultation, which is why it is so imperative to have that separation. And I get questions in my Q and A all the time. How can I tell the Dom what I want without, while still being submissive? Mm -hmm. The answer is you are not submissive. You are not a submissive in this moment. You are a human being. And until negotiations are complete, 
if you are entering negotiations wondering how to be submissive, you are part of the problem. Hmm. Uh, no, at no point until negotiations are complete and we've shaken hands and we go into the play space and that door closes, that's when you become submissive. Hmm. In the living room, you are a person and you are 50% responsible for, for putting the material out there. Sure, sure. That's huge. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you do the same type of consultation with somebody you're in a 24-7 dynamic with? Less so because we know how we play and what's available. Yeah. Some things are like worth checking in about. Um, a very easy example is anal. It's just like, where are you in the digestive cycle? Is this, is, <laughs> is this available? And if it's not, that's yeah. totally fine. With my partner, Holly, with whom I am in a 24 seven, um, we, our, our consultation is sort of like happening throughout the day leading up to the scene. Mm, and, good. and yeah, it's a lot of this daddy, this is what I want. Can we do this? Build up. And so there's a <laughs> lot of buildup. And so then when we get to wherever we're going to play, um, that consultation is probably about three minutes and it is as simple as, um, checking in about the level of impact you know where do you want to be hit what would you like to experience um we'll have some bit of conversation around anal and then just sort of the level of degradation and stuff like that and then then there was also a uh, a question about like filming content is there is there something you'd like to see anyone you'd like to send it to but like anything else when you play with someone for a really long time, right. you know the things that you both like, and these are the standards and practices as our SOP. And mostly the consultation is to ask, are there anything specific that we're going to add or that we're not going to do? And it really is a matter of like, let's check in about these three things and then totally. we can move forward. So it's a bit more fluid with the 24 seven dynamic. Right. And, yeah. and again, also you're collecting information throughout the day. Right. Even with my, with my wife, Amanda, we're not in a 24 seven dynamic. It's a bedroom dynamic, but we will, we, we kind of know like, all right, today we haven't had sex in like three days. So let's, let's make sure we get that on the calendar. And so throughout the day, I will be yeah. very amorous with her. And if we decide uh, we are going to prioritize this, she goes to bed pr pretty early. So we're not waiting until nine 30 at yeah. uh, around 7 PM. It often it could be early. It's like 5 p.m. She's done working. <laughs> hey, before we eat dinner and get too full, let's move this to the bedroom. But throughout the day, or, or even once we get into the bedroom, it's as simple as what type of scene would you like to have? You know, are you, you know, would you like to have to spank you? Are you mostly looking, would you like to have to be soft tonight? And we, I guess in my head, there's like a couple of categories of scenes. Like if, if it's a soft scene, I know we're not doing a ton of impact. If it's, if she says, daddy, I really just want to be used tonight, then I know there'll probably be more impact and more degradation. And so you develop your own language that uh, is, is pretty unique throughout. Right. I would love to speak to like a very new curious audience. I mm. think that like um, consultations and all of those things can feel a bit overwhelming again, because oftentimes people want a roadmap of something to follow, which thankfully you're putting out content about that. Mm. Um, so for a listener who is new on field, mm. um, <coughs> trying to think if it should be a man or, or woman. Yeah. Let's say a, a curious Dom who hasn't really like played with anybody mm -hmm. straight from an app before. Sure. Um, 
is there, I guess, like a, a kindergarten way we could explain the importance of a consultation, why it needs to be happening, how it's going to support your pleasure, their pleasure, um, and I just think emphasizing the importance of it. The reason it's important is because within kink and BDSM, the range of available experiences that can be challenge or that, that can be physically harmful or emotionally harmful is significantly greater right and it's a very if you are sitting down with a person you've never played with for your let's say you're a baby dom you've never done this before there we go there's good you <laughs> it's cool baby dom at coffee yeah baby <laughs> dom at coffee the you, you don't want to ask too many uh sexual questions at coffee again this is mostly yeah. um how much experience do you have are there things in particular that you really like uh, and f you get this sense that the vibe is good, you're going to play, you give them a couple of hours, then you go, you know, either the hotel, the Airbnb, their place, your place. <laughs> you're now in the living room. The reason that you have to have a conversation, it's as simple as for some subs, being slapped in the face is like an opening salvo. That's level one. Of course they want that. For other subs... That is completely dysregulating. Why yeah. would you possibly think that's okay? So if something as simple as that can be either fuck yes mm. or absolutely not, mm -hmm. you have to think that applies to everyone else. So <clears throat> run through right. a quick list of B, D, S, M, B, bondage. Do you like restraint? Do you like to be tied up? I don't particularly like to tie people up and I, um, I'll use handcuffs or silk neckties. <laughs> and maybe a couple of apparatus, but I'm not doing shibari. Yeah. It's like, this is going to take us fucking forever. <laughs> yeah. I'm not interested. If somebody really likes restraint, I will ask further questions. Like, what is it you get out of restraint? Mm. So do you like that feeling of being helpless? And when you're tied up, how, what do you want to experience next? Right. And it can, when some people are helpless and immobilized, they really like to be uh, fucked. Other people, they like to be hit or degraded. Some people like to have a sort of emotional experience of being tied up, then spanked for a bit, and then like left in the room and kind of ignored and neglected. And then you come back and, and have your rhythm. Everything is, you know, there's no, there's no standard protocol. So you right. start with B. Which is I bondage. Like do you like do you like being restrained? D is domination. This is really very simple. In terms of power exchange, what are you looking for? Do you want degradation? Do you want to be called a filthy whore? Do you want to be told that you're useless? Do you want to be told the only thing that gives you value is my cock? Or do you need it paired with praise? Do you want to be a pretty little slut? Do you want to be told you're a good girl constantly? Do you want those two things? Do you want, uh, you know, some type of humiliation where there is some element of this is public? Or, um, yeah, so which, th that should come later. But then we go into S and M. So sadism, I am not a sadist. I do not like causing people pain. But if someone is a masochist and they enjoy pain, I can get into it. Sure. So in terms of impact, what type of play do you like? Do you like floggers? Do you like paddles? And then you just incorporate a scale. I'm going to start light. And on a 1 to 10 scale, you tell me where this is. I'm going to spank you. And you tell me 
Is that a three? Is it a seven? Where do you want to go? And you set your own boundaries. Mm -hmm. If I haven't been with someone before, I am, and they really like face slapping, I'm happy to do it. And, but I'm going to stay at what I feel is a four for me. If I've never been with someone, and, and especially if they're new, mm -hmm. I'm not going to haul off and belt them across the mouth. I don't care what they're asking for. Sure. That's just not for me. So you just ask a couple of questions about B and D and S and M. Love that. And you just have these things. You also have to ask some like basic questions to determine the level of filth that we're going to play <laughs> in. Which, uh, again, for me, the very, like, I'm spitting in your mouth the first kiss. Like, that's <laughs> happening. Unless you don't want it to. So I will ask, is spitting about, would you, is it okay to spit in your mouth? Okay. Do you want me to spit in your face? Some people like to be spit on their body, but the face is a no-no. Some people have like to have their mouth spit in, but nowhere else. Very simple question. Pretty easy. So when we start thinking of um, preferences, it's it's really simple to know that you could trigger someone. And I always ask, like, do you have any, are there any trigger words? Mm -hmm. Because again, for some people, slut is great, but whore for whatever is yeah. not. For many, many people, bitch is no good. They don't like bitch. A lot of visceral reactions. A lot of visceral words. reactions to bitch. Mm -hmm. Many people love, uh, you know, filthy slut, other, but if you say, you know, um, you're a dumb slut, like dumb right. is really not, is, is we're, one word know, away. we're one word away. So you just ask like, what, what words do you absolutely not like? Mm -hmm. I have been with people who, because in American culture, it is such a specific word and it means so many things like cunt is that the most arousing thing they could hear. Mm. And I've been with other people who for them, like absolutely not. And then you also have to ask, well, okay, contextually, how do you want me? Do you want me to refer to you as a cunt or are we referring to your genitalia in that way? And then you have to sort of set in your mind. Whereas when you're with, you know, when I've been with Australians, that, com <laughs> that just comes out of their mouth all yeah. the time. I'm like, that is, that's very different. Oh, well, and wow. so language is really important yes. because for me, power play, is, it, it's, it's, an entirely, it's an entirely cerebral experience. I am not someone who is, I am a big guy, but I'm not actively throwing people around. I don't find that I need it. And I don't like restraint. For me, the psychological experience mm -hmm. is better. I want to create enough safety and enough arousal that if I tell you not to move, then you will be held by my word as firmly as any rope or chain could. And that's what's arousing mm. to me. Because my biggest kink is really like trust and intimacy yeah. and, and to be able to push into those spaces. Yeah. So if you're a baby dom, one, I do have a, um, uh, a how-to. Um, I filmed it with Rachel Wright, who's a great friend of mine, a therapist, um, and it's just how to run a king consultation. I, for whatever reason, did not create a link that I can say to you, but please DM <laughs> me on Instagram, and I'll send you a link, and it's how to run a consultation. But the reason to do it is because you do not know whether being slapped in the face is the first thing they want or the last possible thing. Turn they off want. or turn on. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't know. So, you, you have so to true. ask. And yeah. for the subs out there, yes, if, baby you, subs. if you're a baby okay. sub <laughs> and you sit down with someone who says they're a dom, first thing you ask is, are we going to do a consultation? And if they don't know what that is, again, isn't necessarily a red flag. It can just be a language issue. Right. Or like conversation about our desires or our hopes or yeah and, and for some people they just call it like a boundary talk boundary talk yeah yeah right. definitely and you know just 
if they're if they say, oh, I've never done that again, not a red flag. If they're unwilling to do it, that's a red flag. Definitely. But when you get to wherever it is you're going to play, you will have to lead it. You sit down across from them. Yeah. And if they start you know, trying to get you to refer to them by their title, you just say, hey, until we f have this conversation and enter the play space, we're not in this mode. Uh, the other piece of it is if you match with a dom on an app and they immediately start trying to either degrade you or refer yeah. to you, you can just say, like, hey, you seem interesting. I, it's, you know, uh, I, I like your profile and I am not willing to interact like this with you until we've like reached an agreement awesome. and negotiation. Some people are incredibly over. I can't tell you the number of people who match with me and then immediately start throwing sir or daddy at me. But all I do is give them a gentle reminder. Hey, that isn't available. Let's talk to each other like people and get to know one another. Right. And then if we reach an agreement, For both sides. Exactly. Yeah. So people are very, very quick to call people fake doms and to, to throw them. Mm. How else can they learn? Right. Everybody wants a dom with 15 years experience. Everybody. <laughs> but it's very easy for people on the submissive end to enter a space and to find people who are willing to teach and educate them. But if we keep going this way, where every dom who doesn't have some sort of pre-existing experience, <laughs> then right. that's going to dry up. And the, there is, of course, this incredible, incredibly long, I think untrue, but not completely untrue conversation. There are no good doms out there. There aren't, no, there's a mm. shortage of tops, et cetera. We have to be responsible in the community for creating that. There has to be some type of, if not apprenticeship, then at least a collaborative experience where if you, again, I had no experience and I was with right. a person who had years of, I, mean, I was 25, she was 32. She had years of experience, but she saw something and she mentioned it to me. She gave me some resources and then trusted me to, to do the work on my own and we have to identify people like that. You know, I'm very lucky that because I have a public platform, I am able to recommend resources to many men, Yay. but it, which is great. <laughs> yeah. But the truth is if you are a sub and there is someone who seems like they could be a good Dom, but they don't have experience, mm -hmm. just like if you started dating someone right. who had never been in a relationship, but they were loving and compassionate and kind and smart and checked a lot of your boxes. Right. You kind of got to train them how to be a boyfriend. There gets to be conversations and exactly. expectations. And right. exactly. yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it was only like a year and a half ago that I was a baby, baby sub basically. And um, I didn't know what I liked and what I didn't like. And, and I had to thing. have the experiences. Unfortunately, my f numerous first experiences weren't with anybody with a lot of experience. Mm. Um, but it was in those experiences that I got very clear, very quickly on what I liked and I didn't like. Um, and now I have like a list if I ever need to check in on my desires and my dislikes and my hard nose and boundaries. Um, so yeah, I mean, things get to get a little bit messy before they get super, <laughs> super clear. Yeah. And yeah, again, everybody is going to fuck up a little bit and sometimes you fuck up in a major way mm -hmm. and there's no intention to do harm and there's no intention to say yes to something that might traumatize you right. you think 
I'm going to love this or this sounds really interesting. And then you're in the middle of it and you're in subspace. And it's not that you don't feel you can say no. It's just, you know, you're, you're in an experience mm -hmm. and everyone's had, you know, I've been in the middle of an experience where I'm just like, oh, I'm not super loving this, but like, I don't want to ruin it. It's a good time. Like we're already here. It's fine. I'll just like, I'll partake of the things that are fine. And you get to negotiate with yourself and take responsibility for the parts of it that you contributed to, which does not mean that if somebody pushes past your boundaries, they are not wrong. Sure. Everyone needs to be not only respectful of one another's boundaries, but a great dom is, I think, the excited and gleeful custodian <laughs> of the boundaries of the sub and, mm. and other people in the scene. And a great sub is somebody who is excited and in explaining their boundaries in the most thorough way mm. to the dom and who is not afraid to hit pause in a scene. And sure. there are, there's so much anxiety about, um, they won't see me as submissive anymore. And th this, mm -hmm. this goes back to this feeling of like, there's a scarcity of doms, right? Here's a person who seems like they mostly know what they're doing. They're, they're okay, but I have to be this perfect sub or this, this individual mm -hmm. who is a rarity in the space might not be interested in me anymore. And it's strange because it's often men and women and it inverts the typical uh, heteronormative courting system that we have, right? right. It's like most of the time it's men, you know, like you know, courting women and, and, and there's so many beautiful women in the world and men feel anxious and whatever it is. Um, but once you have the skill set as a dom and there's all these submissives and, and you have a thing that they're looking for, it creates again a, a further divide and an uneven power dynamic, not only in entering that space, but simply in the assessment of uh, availability. And that's why having the educational material out there to Definitely. help more people become educated doms. But we find that people are willing to give discounts and to sit with things or accept things that perhaps they don't want or are pretty clear that they don't want simply because like uh, the, the experience of having found this dom mm -hmm. took months. Well, attachments can be created very quickly uh, as well. in those power dynamics. Exactly. And that, yeah. that again is why there should be right. this feeling of, the, you know, these protocols for separation. Absolutely. And, you know, I believe that there's a lot of great, communities out there for subs who you know so you don't get into sub frenzy or sub swoons and and tops get <laughs> you know they get topsy-turvy or like dom delusion where they think they're in love with this sub mm. and you know it's like okay you've met this person twice they just really happen to like ass to mouth and that and you've never you know whatever it is <laughs> now you're in and, love and yeah you're just like <laughs> how could i not marry this and so having a a brain trust or any sort of just even one other person who is in the space yeah, I love that. with whom you can sort of like break down the scene mm -hmm. and, and how you're feeling that is tremendously important. And that's why pages like mine uh, and, and, and some of the others are, are really valuable yeah. and it creates opportunity for people to just say, is this the, is it, is this okay? Or is this right? And, mm -hmm. um, having, yeah, having, you know, like I, I, I try to be 
everybody's older brother. That's <laughs> that is the approach yeah. that I take to the voice and and the um and and my overall vision of my community, mm-hmm. right? And that's sometimes hard to maintain because they all want me to be their daddy. <laughs> and, oh no! <laughs> which is which be, and I and I understand that I have like a I'm in a position of authority, right? But if they view me that way, yeah. if they view me as daddy, then it creates a for it's uncomfortable for me because mm-hmm. it, it's not even that I'm being sexualized, but like I I don't ever want people to think that I'm above reproach or that mm-hmm. my way is the only way to do it because I come in with my own sets of biases and well they're coming in with an instant power dynamic exactly you're kind of right. like oh okay right um, so rather than thinking like this is daddy and where I want to I want to try to find someone like John to be my daddy mm-hmm. I would much rather think people think like I'd like to find someone who John would approve of and so putting me in like that me, me approaching it through the lens of an older brother mm-hmm. i want all these baby doms to just be like hey can i can i ask you something sure. i, I want to do this right and i want the subs to to know yeah. that like they can bring me something and i can help them through it without this anxiety of if i explain it this way is it going to make him mm-hmm. less potentially sexually interested in me and that's something i navigate a lot and wow. i really do try to create as much distance from this idea of um because i talk about sex and because i am polyamorous and because i'm a dom and you're looking you know like i i I really do not want people to look at me by default as a sexual option the daddy of everyone right (laughs) exactly i mean i find you to be very neutral in your communication which i think is really um a powerful thing to be able to do neutral and clear and um yeah, I, I think that that I think many people in your position, I don't want to generalize too much, but um, I respect how you <laughs> handle everything with neutrality. Thank you. Um, yeah. So to kind of bring it full circle back to when you were sharing about the beginning of your kink journey and your first marriage. I mean, I also think that somebody listening to this might be like, that all sounds very like technical and serious. And like, you know, I would love for you to speak to the, the pleasure and the orgasms and like the goodness that this has brought into your life over the last two decades from that time in your life. When I first started playing in kink, it was, again, finding a language for a thing that I had already been doing, like from the time I was, even even as young as 16 with my high school girlfriend, I would often, you know, uh, be having sex with them and then I would stop and make them beg for me to continue. And um, I would do orgasm denial, you know, like having, having learned their bodies really well and know mm-hmm. what made them come, I would do orgasm denial. So I, I did a lot of the practices. Way ahead of the game. And... <laughs> Oh yeah, I had, I had a very, awesome. I had a very egalitarian sexual uh, yeah. experience in in high school. I was very, very fortunate that I was. I grew up in New York, and I was. Uh, I went to a great public school, and you go through sex ed like three times. Ugh. And I had a, I had a group of friends who were like pretty sexually explorative, and, you know, I, I think I had my first threesome when I was seventeen, and then like my second one two weeks later, huh? and so very, very different than most people. Sure, but I also grew up with a mom who never made me feel weird about sex. She was Mm. a single mom. And uh, just as an example, when I was 16 having sex with my high school girlfriend, the condom broke 
And I was like, I don't think I know what to do here. I'm going to call my mom. And so that was the first thing I did. And she's like, oh, you need uh, the morning after pill, which is what I called at the time. She's like, I'm going to, I'll stop on my way home from work and I'll bring it to you. And she came in and talked to my girlfriend and asked (laughs) like, do you want to, bring your mom into this and she said no and so my mother explained to this woman what was going to happen to this young girl at 16 what's going to happen to her body etc so sex was something that like i did not have outward shame about it wasn't until Mm. years later that i realized i had all this internalized shame about the things that i liked and especially about how much i wanted sex with a lot of other people and that the the more I moved forward and, and, and got older, you know, like when you're kind of 20 and you're just kind of a whore <laughs> and you're not dating anyone and you're, you're sleeping with a lot of people, yeah. especially at that point, you know, this is 90, uh, 2002, it, everyone seems to be fine. It's like, oh, you'll grow out of it. But by the mm-hmm. time you're like 28 and you struggle aggressively with monogamy and every single time you get out of a relationship, you've already got four people on the back burner. It's like an extreme. Right. So I, I began to really internalize the shame of not being satisfied in my, because you thought societally you're supposed to be satisfied with one. Exactly. So I had a lot of monogamy shame, a lot of shame around that. Um, And because of that, I had, I didn't have a ton of shame around the, the specific things that I liked yes. in in sex, mm-hmm. but the fact that I wanted it with a lot of people, the fact that I wanted to connect emotionally mm-hmm. with a lot of people, and like that's where I had a lot of sexual shame. And so I would say that kink gave me a language and a structure to experience pleasure in a way that felt great for me, and I was pretty lucky to mostly come across women who are either interested in or open to or maybe submissive by default and i i remember i had this little line that i would i'd be on maybe the third date with a woman and i'm you know i'm like 27 just moved into new york city like coming out from long island whining and dining and like <laughs> making money for the first time and i would i would wait till at least the third date to sleep with people and uh so i i would look across them and i'll say um, I'd really like for things to escalate mm-hmm. physically tonight. Is that something you're interested in? Before we go back to my apartment, I just want to know because I, I don't ever want to pressure you. Which so if you for, if you say no, you could we'll still go back to the apartment and we'll just hang out. But I will not be kind of putting the moves on. But if you want to see the moves, I got moves. <laughs> and they would say yes and say. So I just kind of want to let you know how I approach things. I will always always treat you like a lady except when i treat you like a whore is that cool and i would watch them melt yeah Yeah. and they would be like yes that's what i want so i was very fortunate to come across Hmm. a few hundred women from the time i was 25 until i got married at 30 that seemed to want that and some less interested in toys and stuff than the others what kink gave me was a language to express the way that I did it and asking people, you know, you, you hook up with people who are vanilla and you just say, I want you to call me sir. And some people would just laugh. They're like, why? I'm like, well, I just like it. And so trying, <laughs> trying to like, at that point, I, like I wasn't it. doing a lot of education. I was sure. just explaining what I like. Mm. But can't give me a, a language to own the types of play 
but I did not have as much shame. It just brought me more pleasure. It gave me tools to ask people what they wanted and to give totally. them pleasure. The thing that truly changed things for me, my life, was moving more fully into poly because that's where I had the shame. I remember April of 2016, perhaps, went to my first play party with the woman I was dating in New York and this other woman we had met and I, and we brought two friends and it was, it, it was in Brooklyn. Uh, so pe fa people, Alaskans. people who follow me know that I don't love Brooklyn. Brooklyn okay. is, I'm making it, Brooklyn <laughs> is great. I'm just an elitist Manhattanite. If you live in Brooklyn, it's fine. You're dope. I love you. It's, it's better. It's better than being. But I did go to a no. sex party. Yeah. So I went to a sex party in Brooklyn, in Williamsburg. And it was an amazing experience. And I found community in all these people. And I remember, you know, I again, I was still in this marriage. Everything was still hidden. Mm. And I came out of this party six in the morning and I'm on seventh street in Williamsburg and I have, and I'm like with five people and we're going to take a cab back to New York and go pass out and then go get breakfast. And I, <laughs> I, you know, see the sun coming up from the East and you know, then I look West and I see the Manhattan skyline splayed like a dream out of reach. And I look at this house and I just mm. feel myself ready to weep because I realize that yeah. this is the choice I have to make. Totally. There are these two houses. And in one house, I am wrong and I am broken and I have commitment issues mm. and I'm just a cheater and I'll never be okay. And I'm, and I'm bad, bad, inherently bad. I'm bad and I'm ugly and anyone who comes near me mm. is going to get hurt. And in this other house, I've got a lot of work to do, but the thing that I want and the way that I feel I need to be is available. And there are people who live there who live that way. And this is a thing that you can do right. and you can, you let, you need to learn how to do it well, Yeah. but you're not inherently bad or wrong. And that morning I was mm. like, I just can't live in that fucking house anymore. And so I pulled back more fully from my marriage. I should have had the conversation that day and I didn't. And in complete fairness, I went on to cheat on the woman in New York that I was with. And I, and I, I you know, I, I didn't know how to end that relationship. So I fucked one of her friends and that was terrible. And I have, you know, there are quite a number of women who have had, I think, beautiful sexual relationships with me, but truly damaging emotional relationships mm -hmm. with me and cleaning up that stuff because that's where all the trauma was being involved with someone and being in love with someone and reaching a point where I felt like I have to get out of this, right. but never knowing how because of my abandonment wounds and not being able to look at someone and say, you're great. And this has come to an end for me, learning the skills there, learning to end relationships ethically, learning to navigate relationships ethically, even within the context of poly where you right. can have, it, it is available to go sleep with this person. Why would I, why did I just lie about that? Mm -hmm. Why did I hide that? That's right. the place that all of the work that has brought me the most joy has happened. Mm -hmm. And so the kink and the poly, they, there is this intertwining of them, right. but there's one place where it has always felt pretty easy and another place where it is the hardest thing I have ever done and nearly all of the joy that I have in my life right now comes from having done that work and I got to do it with Amanda and, and other people but to be at a place now where I am married and I'm the ha I can't understand how it's possible to be this happy 
in one relationship. And I love Amanda in a way that I could not possibly put into words. Mm. And then to meet another person and another. And I, and I love Holly completely differently right. than Amanda. And I love Shelby completely differently than Holly or Amanda. And they're all incredible women. They are smart and they are wise and they are beautiful and they see the flaws that I have and they constantly, and I, to be triangulated between these three incredible people, <laughs> I am, I'm like, I have the, a level of emotional responsibility where I'm like constantly getting better every day. Hmm. And then to see them all love one another, yeah. I never would have imagined that that could exist. If you told me that like, yeah, there are people who want to pay you $10,000 to dom their wife. If you had told me that four years ago, I'd be like, okay, sure. <laughs> absolutely. I can believe Wow. That. But if you had told me four years ago, what's available? Like, you know, by 2022, 23, you'll be married and you'll yeah. have these two other parts and you'll be in love with all of them. And the whole world would know <laughs> your wife's mom will. will ask about them when she texts you and mm. she'll be happy for you. And she wants to know if any of them are coming to Christmas dinner and oh. all of this is okay. And it's perfect. And you will fall asleep at night weeping with mm. the beauty of your life. That would have seemed so outrageous. I could not have believed it. And impossible when you're in that house of right. shame. Yeah, back in that 2016, yeah. I would have been like, I, I, it, is, it is more believable that I will burn the house down with myself inside and that is how I die than to just be, I could have actually just walked out, but I felt so, Yeah. I felt indebted and I felt obligated and I felt I have, my marriage has, failed i have failed and i am a failure and then people are going to know but then you fuck it up anyway and then everyone knows you're a cheater and an asshole and then you got to like do reputational repair for the better part of a decade anyway yeah wow well thank you for your vulnerability and your honesty and you know thank you for doing all of that hard work because um you're showing a pathway for a lot of humans right now mm. um to be able to see a life that is possible. And I would have never considered being open to um, Polly. I was very much, you know, brainwashed by mainstream media and wanting the fairy tale thing. Mm. And maybe if I meet the right person, but shortly into that, having sexual fantasies about other people, it's like you have paved this way and shown, you all show a lot of intimate parts of your life. And um, it's showing something that is is possible and attainable and beautiful and um yeah thank you for showing the world what's possible thank you for acknowledge yeah it's it, it's it i will have a moment of vulnerability it is challenging to sit here across from a person who is saying that you are helping change people's lives it, like to i i because I, I don't believe you know i there are so many other people sharing information mm -hmm. i do know I, I try to acknowledge that you know we, we are in a in a particular space um but thank thank you yeah it's it is odd for me to, to mm. think that like i am in any way a, a a trailblazer because none of this is really that new polyamory existed before marriage and you know it's there the were humanness it's the way yeah. you do it you have a specific way of doing it and, and i remember you. when you guys got married and and um 
your wife had a partner at the time mm-hmm. and there was this photo of four hands together and i mean i may have cried then too because i was just like what the fuck like we people can do this yeah it's possible um and you know as i began to navigate more in depth relationships i'm like i can have i can have it all you can fucking have it all and it's it's i know it's not all perfect and glamorous and you speak to that too but the way that i am able to follow you and your wife and your other partners mm. and just see you coexist and create this education just through being yourselves and being in relationships with each other it's the naturalness the way you do it that feels really good thank you yeah, yeah. we we really do our best to show uh, you know, the high and the low, warts and all. Um, that's, it's a little easier for Amanda. She is really so amazing at sharing what she's going through while she's going through it. Totally. Whereas I tend to kind of withdraw into myself and I process yeah. and then I'll come out and like six months ago, I went through a breakup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, we all have different ways. Right. But yeah, no, I, I think, I think there's, there's a lot there, but you're right. It is not as, you know, it, it, it can look from the outside to be very polyglamorous, mm. but there is a, uh, a a need for this this inside look. I had a very strange experience. I was at the gym the other day. This couple came up to me and they said they're they're fans and you know they they like the the whole thing, and so the whole, thing. The whole yeah. <laughs> and so they said we love following you and Amanda and your partners are great. You guys should have a reality show. And I laughed and I said, it would be terrible. It would be the most boring show in the world (laughs) because it's mostly just conversations. It's conversations. And when conversations are navigated well, they're not exciting. There's no drama. Hmm. And then, so basically it's- A bunch of healthy fucking It's a bunch of healthy communication. (laughs) And then which city are we going to snuggle in? Right. And then what, because you can't show- the sex and drugs, which is like a fun part of life. Right. And so it's really just <laughs> a podcast with that follows us around. It would not be a good reality show. <laughs> but I, I really do appreciate the acknowledgement and I'm very, very grateful for the people who follow along yeah. and, uh, and and that allow us through sharing our lives and also direct educational material to yes to improve whatever they're going through and, and to just be participant in their development and their growth yeah. is a is a truly great honor. Do you have a plan to do any kind of like arsenal of guided material or like supportive material for people who want to get into the space? I don't know. Okay. For the very, <laughs> the main thing is like outwardly, I appear to be a straight white guy. I'm not straight. I'm queer. I hook up with men and non-binary people. I've had, you know, deep romantic connections. Um, <laughs> and, but the, the, the kinky community is so, there, there is so much that has been done for that community. And, and the people who have always been on right. the cutting edge are queer people of color. And, you know, the, the poly community there is this presentation of like, oh, look, here's this attractive man and his three bisexual girlfriends. I, like, I, I am cognizant that mm. because of the, the presentation of it, it, it probably is digestible to the masses, but I don't, I, I do struggle with the idea that perhaps it is not my place mm. to, to guide that conversation. I'm happy to be a participant in it and an educator, right. but if I start creating a ton of educational material based on my platform, my connections, mm-hmm. like things might take off in a way that I, I got to make some tough ethical decisions. Sure. And truthfully, 
if five years from now, I am the face of polyamory, that would be stolen valor. And that is not the thing I'm trying to create, especially because this isn't my actual job. <laughs> you know, I like, I have a marketing <laughs> agency and I like, I'm, I'm, I write books about marketing and philosophy. And I, yeah. you know, I've been working on this book about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey for, for wow. years. And I want to, you know, there's, there's stuff Very that I, right, well, I was like yeah, trying exactly. to go find your kink stuff. I'm like, where is it? <laughs> it only exists on social media. Yeah. So, so the, the answer is there could be a world in which there are maybe hyper-specific uh, offerings. Um, you know, I, I have talked before with a, a friend of mine about creating a paired journal, a Dom journal and a sub journal that people mm. could go through together and they would have prompts and everything yeah. like that would be an easy thing to do. That doesn't right. again, position me as the, as the ultimate authority, but to, to write a book as a best-selling author who, who surrounds themselves with other authors, like I, if I write a book, I can't not throw everything I have behind it. And mm -hmm. so then it, th you know, so I am struggle, struggling to navigate the ethical vagaries of that. Sure. And if I had my druthers, it would be someone who is more representative of the diversity of the community who would be, be elevated. And I would rather I find and help that person mm. from, you know, like be, being sort of just on their counsel, you know, totally. and rather than me being the, the face of it, because I, there, there is, there is some real ethical things. There. Definitely. I appreciate that. Thanks for being honest. Yeah. You had a question, you picked up your phone. What were you going to ask about? Oh, I was going to ask about, uh, sexual orientation and heteroflexibility. And, sure. uh, I personally, I definitely went on a little sub frenzy when I first explored this and, um, got on field mm -hmm. and also life changed my first sex party I went to. I was like, if this is possible, this is my fucking life. Yeah. This is it. That was uh, my real personality. And, uh, yeah, I've talked about it on another episode. I thought it was going to be like a weird burning man vibe thing. It was just like a bunch of hot people at a nice house. And I was like, we can all fuck. Um, it was awesome. But anyway, yeah. something was I've that noticed. Was that here in Austin? Yes. Yes. Oh, well, we'll have yes. to talk. Yes. Um, I messaged you, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> so, I have noticed a big shift in the last, like, honestly, few months of a lot of men's orientation on field being heteroflexible and bi, sure. which I'm personally really excited about because I think that why would there be, like, more um, bi women than men? I mm -hmm. think there's just a comfortability in terms of being, like, out and bi, sure. whereas there's Absolutely. a shame yeah. men, bi bi men. Bisexual men are the most discriminated against yeah. Um, is, you know, with women there from like locker room talk and getting shamed or called a fat, like whatever it is, like I right. think that happens very right. young. And, and for women, there's like a sexiness to it, you yes. know, people like women, Some, but yeah. for historically, uh, a bi man might be less attractive to women and certainly, um, shamed by straight men. And, yes. you know, there is, um, a lot of old jokes that, you know, uh, a, a bi woman is, you know, just stopping by in her way to being straight, and a bi man is stopping by mm -hmm. in his way to being gay, and all, all of that. But yeah. I, I think that honestly, we have Gen Z to thank, especially in terms of creating this broader language of how we Gen can Z identify Gen Z. I just think there's, you That's know, fun. with with everything <laughs> from gender identity onward, and everything yeah. that stems from that, if you can really hone in and kind of decide that this gender binary doesn't work for you. I think that like 60 years ago, right? If you were a man and you 
might have an inclination to like maybe want to hook up with men, but you're you're with women, yes. you just put yourself in the bucket of straight, right? And then if you're a man and you like mostly like being with men, you're going to call yourself gay, even if there is some interest in potentially being with women. And you'd have to kind of sit squarely in the middle to be bi. Whereas I consider myself like I'm mostly straight. I am interested in novel sexual experiences. Totally. I have been with men. I have been all of the times I've been romantically interested in men. Mm. They have been other straight men who I have had really mm. close relationships and the relationship got so textured and intense yeah. that I'd be like, I, is this, am I in love with my friend? What is that? Sexual vibes. Right. There's just like a closeness to it where like mm -hmm. this needs some other place to express, wow. but we're straight. So like we won't ever talk about that. Um, maybe, <laughs> or will we'll, we? maybe we'll bring in a girl and we'll meet in the middle. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't really actively seek out sexual experiences with men. Um, I'm very open to it. Uh, I'm also, again, we've talked about baby subs and baby doms. Right. I guess I'm a little baby by. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't go out and seek it out. And and also, I don't have a ton of time. I've got a very full yeah. and robust life. Uh, I have some again ethical challenge. Mm. I have lived my life outwardly as a straight appearing man, a white appearing man. I have privilege coming out the ass. Sure. So to now suddenly say I am bisexual when I have had absolute, especially now that I'm in the position that I am and it's like, I don't have a job that anyone, I no one can take anything right. away from me. Right. So to now suddenly be like, I'm bi to claim that mm. label that other people have fought for again, Suffered. feels a little bit challenging for sure. me to wrap my head around. So the label I feel good with yeah. is queer. Because the thing is, I'm not straight. I've <laughs> lived my life as a straight person because I'm. That's mostly how I'm interacting. Yeah. But I have emotional connections with men. I have, uh, I've had sex with men. I'm gonna have sex with more men, and I am very aware and and and, and non-binary people, etc. Mm -hmm. um, you know, NBs and and trans folks is you know I I don't as long as somebody's cool and dope <laughs> like in a group scene, I don't particularly care what someone's genitals are i prefer butt sex anyway because that's and it's about the power to you it's about the energy. right yeah exactly yeah. particularly a submissive person who right. is uh interested in having some sort of interaction with me yeah. uh yeah there there is that there so, so um i am open to the idea of something relational with a man with it, it with the right fit i don't know what that would look like but i'm I'm open to it. I, I also, again, I have a pretty full dance card at the moment. I don't. A pretty full what card? A dance card. It's an it's oh, an I old. You said dad card. Dan, like, yeah, no, no, you kind no, of do this. My, 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 yes, <laughs> but you know, I I don't have a ton of bandwidth. But yeah. you know, in the world in which one of my partners was perhaps uh, seeing a man who identified as bi, and mm -hmm. there could be availability there. I could see potentially having something that like sprung from that and yeah. developed in a type of emotionality that were that were interesting to explore. So I'm, I'm yeah. open, uh, but I'm as open as I can be for someone with three existing partnerships. Right. Well, I appreciate you sharing yeah. that. Yeah, what thanks for you, asking. What would you say to a, um, a baby queer mm -hmm. uh, who is like, maybe they haven't decided to change their, their orientation on field yet, but they're like, 
you know, curious. I'm just, I'm seeing a lot of men wanting to explore submission and heteroflexibility. Mm-hmm. And um, it's exciting because I want to explore with those people. <laughs> Certainly. But. The advice that I would give you is just keep, uh, keep asking yourself those questions and try to locate. So I think for any, any sort of self-development, there's a process. The process that I use is excavation, examination, interrogation, and integration. So excavation is find as much as possible what is here. And are, am I interested in a man or am I interested in being submissive? And examination, what does that mean about me? Interrogation, why has this been hidden for mm-hmm. so long? And when we begin to interrogate the pieces that really feel uh, challenging and there's internalized homophobia, right. it's like if you came across a gay man and he told you that throughout his life he had slept with three women, there's no part of you that would be like, oh, maybe he's not gay. But if you are a straight man yeah. and you suck one dick, yeah. you know, if you show up at your at someone's touched a dick. If you like, again, if you show up and you tell your friends, like, I hooked up with a guy last night, they're gonna be like, Oh, so are you gay now? But if you were a gay guy who showed up with those same people and said, I fucked a woman last night, they'd be like, Oh, weird, what was that like? Didn't you tell her she was you're, you're gay? Yeah. So the thing mm-hmm. is you a gay man Duality. could sleep with many women and still be gay, but a straight man fucks one dude and now everyone cuts. So that those people saying that, that is mirroring that socialized, internalized misogyny and patriarchy. So examining that. So my advice to the baby queers who are (laughs) interested would be continue to excavate the things that feel interesting to you, examine why they might feel interesting to you, interrogate why there is resistance and, and particularly look at the, the, socio perspectives of it particular socio-cultural perspectives of it each um each ethnic group will have its own relationship to it mm-hmm. and then finally play with it and start to integrate and yeah. over time you know again i probably slept with two or three men long before i ever was saying on instagram like yeah i'm queer and it took a while to feel comfortable saying that not because I was afraid of judgment from straight people, but because I mm. was like, like I haven't, I haven't earned it. Oh. I'm not gay enough Mm-mm. to say that I'm queer. And that was, that's a really interesting and completely sure. different yeah. set of internalized biases because I am so plugged into a queer community and because I have so much respect, but it, it wasn't until enough of my queer friends told me, I was like, Dude, yeah, you could, you could, say, you're fine. And like, you, you could, can do whatever you, you want. You could say, you can, <laughs> you can call yourself queer. We give you permission. You're, you are knighted. You've been knighted, yeah. You've been knighted. One of, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite human beings of all time is a guy named Jeff Masters who started as my assistant in LA and then he was like the CEO of a company. He now has one of the biggest queer podcasts. It's called LBGTQ and A. Mm-hmm. And, he just looked at me one time and he's like, dude, being straight is fucking gay. And I was like, that's strangely helpful. <laughs> that is strangely helpful. And so that was one of the little weird things that sticks in my head yeah. along the way to being able to identify as queer. And probably my favorite thing about being openly queer is now I can call stuff gay again, which I stopped doing when I was in my <laughs> to 20s. Try to be PC but, yeah, but you only say it yeah. about like gay stuff. You know, so, but it's, uh, it's been a journey. So you'll, your journey is, it'll take as much or as little time, but really the thing is, um, whatever side you think is going to judge you, there will be people ready to receive you as well. Mm, Beautiful. Great way to end it. Yep. They're ready to receive you. Thank you so much. 
thank you for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in to Sex Talk Radio. I hope you found this conversation to be empowering and expansive. Please follow along on Sex Talk Radio podcast on both Instagram and TikTok. Sex is spelled S-E-G-G-S. Thank you so much. And please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to support the podcast.